One of the greatest gifts I've ever been given was given to me before I was even born. I was what the doctor called a stubborn baby. I didn't want to come. And so he finally said to my mother, all right, Verge, we're going to have to induce this labor. And she said, could we wait just another day? And he looked at her and he said, I have never met a woman who wanted to stay pregnant longer. But she said, tomorrow will be his grandma's 75th birthday. And I couldn't imagine a better gift to give her than that. So they did. And here I am, having been privileged to celebrate 21 very happy birthdays with that grandmother. That grandmother, by the way, was my dad's mom, her mother-in-law. So no joke this morning, I promise. My favorite birthday with Grandma, though, wasn't my 16th, when I got to drive her around for the first time, or my 21st, when we had our first and last shot of whiskey together. All right, it wasn't the last. You get the idea. No, it was the year I turned five. It was the year I was first in school, and so we were going to have a school party with all the kids. All the boys in my class were going to come over. I was very, very excited. And then I got sick. And I was pretty sickly as a kid. Being sick had slowed me down a lot, and so I was especially disappointed to lose my party. So my folks made the best out of it they could. 
they did invite some family members over, some cousins closer to my age, so that I wasn't all by myself. And what I had wasn't catching. They knew that. So, so they didn't need to be afraid for me. But I was weak and I was tired. And so they brought me out, laid me on the couch, made up a little bed for me. And I got to watch my cousins play on the floor, which was not really better. <laughs> <laughs> then grandma came in the room. And grandma assessed this whole situation and I think understood what mom was trying to do and also understood why it was not working. And so I will never forget what she did. She disappeared back into the other end of the house and came back a couple minutes later in one of my mother's nightgowns. Now, the visual here is significant. My mother, I know this is hard to believe, was almost six foot tall. My grandmother was pushing 4'11". <laughs> so she looked like a little girl in her mom's nightgown with the bottom all puddled at her feet. And my grandma was a very dignified woman. She was humbling herself to do this for me. But she threw on mom's nightgown and walked over to the couch and said, scooch over. And she got in and we lay there top to bottom, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory style, and had our birthday there on the couch. Mom, or grandma made mom bring the cake out. The whole party moved in right around us. And I didn't really get any stronger and I didn't really feel any better. It didn't make my lungs work more, which was the problem at the time. That needed a nebulizer, but, but, I don't know that I've ever known myself more loved or more cared for than when grandma made herself sick for me. Last week, Jesus spoke with the voice of authority and called the demon out of the man. The week before, he called with the voice of allurement, right? calling men away from their work to a work even more noble and significant. Today, he lifts someone up from her illness with the most human of gestures. He just took her by the hand. You've probably already done it coming into church this morning. He just took her by the hand. And that's all it took. That's all he needed. Earlier in the day, preaching in the synagogue and teaching, laying hands on people, calling with the voice of authority. But at night, walking to the couch and taking her by the hand. See, this is what Jesus does. He crawls down under the covers with us. He gets right up next to us, and he's not afraid of our cooties, whether those are on the inside or the outside. He's not afraid to go neck deep, knee deep even, into, into our gunk, into the bits of us that don't work right. He's not afraid of anything that we have because he's already got it. We sang it as the gospel was processed. Did you hear what they said? He bore our infirmities. He carried our diseases. The mistake that we make most often, at least in my experience, is, 
is in treating God like a cosmic vending machine. He sort of zaps out grace on demand if we punch in the right code or put in the right amount of prayer or good work or something. And, 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 and the problem with that is it not only cheapens God, right? It makes God into something manipulable by me. <laughs> it doesn't give God enough credit for what he's doing in us. You see, we're, we're watching like the opening montage of the Jesus movie in, 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 in these short little passages from St. Mark the first of the exorcisms, the first of the healings, the first of the preachings. And, 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 and we're catching a glimpse, a glimmer of who Jesus is. But where he shows his power most profoundly is in his most human moments. Is in coming to a buddy's house at the end of the day to crash on the couch only to find the guy's mother-in-law has taken his spot. And he doesn't show off. He doesn't command the fever. He bends down and he lifts her up. This is simply who Jesus is. Simon and those who were with him pursued him and on finding him said, everyone is looking for you. And he said, let us go on to the nearby villages that I may preach there also. For this purpose have I come. And so he went about into their synagogues, preaching and driving out demons. This is who he is. He comes into our lives. He breaks into our lives, often unexpectedly and often with consequences we neither liked nor expected, just like he did for Peter and James and John. And he drives out. He commands with the voice of God himself. He drives out what's evil from the inside of us and sends it away where it can't bother us again. And he heals, that is, he restores to life. Part of what I love about this miracle is it's far less flashy or or, or impressive as, you know, raising people from the dead. But haven't there been times you just had the flu and wish somebody could zap you? (laughs) And that is what this appears to be. But what he does, this is what's remarkable, He doesn't simply restore health where there was illness, but he gives life where there was absence. Before, she's sick and on her bed, and the moment she's well, she's up serving. This is what he does. Those whom he heals, he likewise empowers. And so, as this sort of opening montage from the Jesus movie comes to an end, what does he do? He lays hands on the 12 and sends them out to do the same. Each one of us has an illness, a persistent fever, a cold that won't quite go away, a sin we can't seem to shake or a relationship we can't seem to get right. We've got habits and patterns and and parts of our character we don't even understand ourselves, but we wish to hell we could get rid of. And that is what's on offer. Not a self-improvement plan, but restoration, wholeness, integration, and something more. Mission. If you're willing to come to the altar today 
and to bring with you your illness, your injury, your dysfunction, and your sin. If you're willing to allow those parts of you to be what's transformed, then you can leave today empowered as the apostles to drive out evil, to bring healing and wholeness, to give life where once was not. And that would be the greatest gift of all.